I'm glad four or five of you believe he's a miracle worker. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you would, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter number 34. Genesis chapter number 34. We're going to be down toward the end of chapter 34 and then... Look on into chapter number 35, the first few verses. I want to encourage you that as you continue praying this week, to continue to remember uh, Jean and Miss Sheila. Um, Sheila was doing a lot better yesterday, um, and they think that if she continues to progress, maybe be able to come home as early as tomorrow. Um, and I'm, I'm going to tell you something. That's a drastic change just since we saw her this past week. Um, I told you, God's still working miracles. Amen. Amen. Uh, remember also Carl and, and Joe Tyner. Um, we, we got a lot of new folks with us. Give God some praise for the new folks he's sending along. Amen. Amen. That's an answer to prayer. And, and we know that all of you aren't familiar with these names. Miss um, Sheila usually plays the, the keyboard. Um, her husband, Gene, serves as one of our deacons. Miss Sheila has a lot of health problems that um, put her at great risk if she caught covid and so she's not been able to come to church for over a year now. Um, and, and, and then did eventually get COVID going to get um, her chemo treatments. So uh, hopefully she's the one that's going to be coming home tomorrow. Um, Carl Tyner um, had a, a transplant. He and his wife, Miss Jo, haven't been with us because, of course, Carl's immune system is way down right now. Um, and, and he's just been really discouraged. So um, you, you pray that um, God would get him back up to par physically and, and to where he can come and join with us spiritually. Remember um, Debbie and uh, – Debbie, where did I get Debbie from? Um, yeah, D Debbie, I was looking at Hugh Lunn, and, okay, 
Miss Debbie and Hugh and, and Debbie's sister Teresa, um, also Terry Hewlin and Sue, um, Kenny and Ella Oliveira, and, and then Corey and Christy Eby um, have lost their home um, and, and trying to figure out what they're going to do. Just, just pray that, that God will provide um, and, and that they would be discerning to him. I'll say, remember, our, well, I'm excited about Easter, aren't you? Y'all need to wake up tonight now. Come on. I didn't come to church by myself. Um, and so we, we want to be praying that God would move in, in a significant and special way this Easter Sunday. Um, I want to encourage you to go to our um, Facebook page and share that the post inviting people to come on Sunday morning to our drive-in service. Just plaster Facebook with it. Put it up a thousand times if you have to. Um, and then, of course, be praying about revival uh, coming up May the 9th through the 12th. Um, I said April this past. I, that was my mistake. Uh, but it's actually May the 9th through the 12th. All right, let's pray together. Father, we are grateful, uh, Lord, for the very privilege to be able to gather with the people of God, to be able to come into your house. And, Lord, we do not take it lightly. We can sing with the psalmist that I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of our God. And Lord, it's just a privilege to be able to gather in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, Lord, we pray that, um, Lord, that it be so much more than, than fellowship but that it, we, as we open up your word, that word that shaped creation, that God, it would challenge us and change us. Help us that we would hear from heaven tonight. Become more like Jesus this evening than we were yesterday. Father, we do pray for every name that's been mentioned here this evening that needs a physical touch in their body. God, I'm satisfied that Jesus did open the eyes of the blind. When he walked the shores of Galilee, he caused the deaf to hear. Those who had never spoken a word to be able to speak. God, we just believe tonight that he called Lazarus who had been dead four days. And he stood forth alive and well out of a grave. You are the same today, yesterday, and forever. That's what your word says. And so, God, we're going to believe it. And we know that with just a, a thought, a spoken word, that you can heal the bodies of our loved ones. And so, Father, we pray that you'd be pleased to do that. And do it, God, not only for them, but more importantly, for your glory. That you be magnified. That you be worshipped. Speak to us. Change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I, I should keep better records than what I do. Um, I'm, I'm not sure when the last time that um, we found ourselves studying from the book of Genesis or, or even more specifically this text. Um, but, but I believe and, and I hope that you will see that it is a, a word 
for the church right here and right now. Now, when I use the, the, the word church, the word in the Greek is ecclesia. It literally means called out ones. When, when I'm talking about the church, Bill, I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about you and me. We are the body of Christ. We are the church, the called out ones of the living God. The, the church corporately will never be any stronger than what we as Christians are individually but, but because we are what makes up the corporate church. And, and so I would hope that this text would challenge us corporately as the family of God right here at the bridge in Brunswick County, North Carolina. But, but the only way that'll happen is if you will allow it and I will allow it to challenge us individually and personally. The Bible says in chapter number 34 in verse number 30, That Jacob said to his two sons, Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me to make me stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me. And I shall be destroyed, I and my house. And they said, should he deal with our sister as with an harlot or a prostitute? And God said unto Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. And make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress. Aren't you glad? And was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all of the strange gods which were in their hand. And all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the yoke which was by Shechem. And they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, and he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. 
have you ever considered how life is kind of like a book? Not a short story, but a novel. And it seems to come in chapters. You see this clearly in the life of Jacob. Jacob has many of his life chapters recorded in the book of Genesis. It's like a drama that unfolds on the pages of Scripture showing us Jacob's life and God at work in it. Jacob was a man who was familiar with grace. Aren't you glad we serve a God of grace? Yeah. What I mean is, because of grace, you don't have to get what you really deserve. And Jacob knew something of the grace of God. He knew something of grief. You will not live forever in this life without experiencing times of grief. And Jacob had many days, though covered in the grace of God, he experienced grief. And then there are those chapters in Jacob's life that just kind of elevate themselves above every, ever fra every other phrase that's written about him. We'll, we'll call them chapters of glory. Those supernatural moments. Those divine encounters that Jacob had with God. We won't turn there, but if you were to begin studying the life of, life of Jacob at the very beginning of his life, you see the grace of God in Jacob's life before he's ever even born. In, in fact, in chapter number 25, the Bible says Jacob's father Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, Rebekah, because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Isn't that exciting? Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, want to have a child. But according to the Bible... Rebecca's womb was barren. She was unable to conceive. Now, I know God's a miracle-working God, so it doesn't surprise me that God works a miracle. I guess what really surprises me is what Jacob does. The Bible did not say that because Elizabeth was barren, I I'm sorry, Rebecca was barren, that Jacob went to a fertility clinic. No, the Bible says that he entreated God. Could we say it this way? Isaac prayed for his wife, Rebekah. 
And then the next thing we read is that she conceived. God help us as parents and grandparents that we don't forget the power of God when we pray. That he is still able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Jacob just believed that God could cause Rebekah to be able to receive seed, conceive a child, and give birth. So, so he got down on his knees and he prayed for his wife. And then the Bible says in verse 22 of chapter 25 that the children, not child, the children struggled together within her. In other words, she didn't just conceive one child. She conceived two. That'd be a good time to remind you to be careful what you pray for. God's certainly able to give us exceedingly abundantly above all we could even ask or imagine. The children struggled together with her, and she said, If it be so, if, 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 if I've really conceived, and, and it's a blessing from God, why am I thus? Why am I in the shape that I, I'm in? Why am I feeling this, discom this discomfort and the Bible says, and she went to inquire of the Lord. She did not go to her gynecologist first. She got on her knees and on her face, and she said, God, what's going on inside of me? My husband prayed that I would get pregnant, and we believe that you worked a miracle in my life. Now, why am I going through what I'm going through? She sought God in prayer. And the Lord gives her explanation and says, And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people. Listen to this. This is really important. And the elder shall serve the younger. Now, if you read all of the story, you'll come to find out that Rebecca does give birth and Jacob and Esau are born. Esau was born first and Jacob was born second, which means though it might be only by minutes, maybe even seconds, Saul is the older son. He's the firstborn. And according to Hebrew culture and tradition, that was a prominent place in a Hebrew family. Because the elder son, the firstborn son, when the parent, when the father passed away, he would be given the position as head of the family. And with that, he would receive 
a twofold portion, two-thirds of the family inheritance. The other third would be divided amongst the younger sons. More importantly, though, this family just ain't no ordinary family. But because according to the Abrahamic covenant, this would be the family that the Messianic pro promises were fulfilled through. That is, whoever this firstborn son, the, the leader of the family, that's who Jesus would come through their genealogical line. And so at the very birth of Jacob, God declares the younger Jacob would rule over the older Saul. So God bypasses the natural ways of men and implements the supernatural in Jacob's life before he's ever passes through his mother's womb. Isn't that a miracle? Did you know that God had a purpose and a plan for you before your mom and daddy ever thought about you? Hallelujah. So, so we see that Jacob has those chapters of grace. But, but then we come to understand in studying Jacob's life that he experiences not only God's grace, but grief. In chapter number 27, and we're not going to read all of the text, but the Bible teaches us that Jacob deceived Isaac, his father, into giving him the blessing that he was supposed to pronounce on Esau, his older son. And because of that, the Bible says in chapter 27, verse 41, think about this for just a moment. Don't, don't just read it, but think about what Scripture is teaching us. Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Saul said in his heart, the days of mourning of my father are at hand. Then I will slay my brother Jacob. Think about that for just a moment. It's as old as Cain and Abel. You know, isn't it a sad reality when our children can't get along? But, but th these guys aren't just arguing Saul literally wants to kill Jacob. And Jacob flees for his life. Which brings us to chapter number 28. Now Jacob experiences grace in 27. Grief in 28. And then glory, I'm in 27. And then an encounter with glory in chapter 28. Where the Bible says, Jacob awaked out of his sleep. Now, Jacob is running for his life. A fugitive in his own family. And when he's running, he doesn't stop and get a hotel room. He takes a pillow 
and lays his head on the pillow, and God gives him a vision. And in this vision, he sees a ladder set up on earth that reaches all the way to heaven. And God standing at the top of the ladder and angels ascending and descending on the ladder. Now, we learn in the New Testament that that vision wasn't just a picture of a ladder, but it was a type of Christ. It was a type of Jesus, who, by the way, is the way. And so Jacob recognizes that this place he's in is a special place because that's where God's at. And this is what he declares of that place. I'm going to change the name of it. The name of this place is Luz, but I'm going to name it Bethel. And he says, this is the reason, this is the very gateway to heaven. So Jacob experiences a glorious moment in a dream with God. Now, we, we don't have time to read or consider every chapter of Jacob's life. But chapter number 34 has to be the most grievous, painful, disappointing, fearful times in all of Jacob's life. There is not a chapter in the whole drama more depressing than chapter number 34. Now, I, I'm not going to take the time to read it all, so just let me kind of lay the foundation for you. Jacob's daughter, Dinah, becomes sexually promiscuous and gets pregnant outside the bounds of holy matrimony. Well, that wasn't just a sin in Jacob's time. That's still a sin in our time, too. Jacob's a, a religious man who loves God. And he wants not only to honor God with his own life, but he wants his family to honor God. And so certainly it grieved Jacob that his daughter had put herself in this position. But then to compound matters, Jacob had two sons named Simeon and Levi. Now, Simeon and Levi find out that Dinah has been defiled by Shechem. And they concoct a plan and wind up killing every man from the town of Shechem. And to make matters worse, they use God's divine ordinance of circumcision to weaken the men that they're able to get the advantage and slaughter an entire village full of men. Now think about, put yourself in Jacob's shoes for just a moment. His daughter's about to have a baby. His two sons are guilty of a capital crime. Literally serial killers, if you will. But, but this is Jacob. This is a man who knows something of the grace and the glory of God. 
And yet you find the same man living in chapter number 34. Have you ever noticed that you can be experiencing the grace of God and the glory of God in one breath and the next everything changes? I mean, have you ever noticed that life just has a way of throwing you a curveball every now and then? That one moment you may be on that supernatural mountaintop receiving a vision from God and the next moment you're in the deepest valley that you've ever been in. One moment God is revealing himself like like you've never seen him before. And one phone call and you can't find God anywhere. Have you ever noticed how one phone call can change your whole life? And so Jacob is literally, I believe, living in the worst chapter of his life. In chapter number 34. Now, I think that the most dangerous place for Jacob in this moment is in what he begins doing In verse number 30. Did you hear what he said to his two sons? Jacob said to Simeon and Levi. You have troubled me to make me stink amongst the inhabitants of the land. Jacob's living in chapter number 34. And he does what we all do when we find ourselves living in that same place. And he starts pointing his finger. Playing the blame game. He starts raking Simeon and Levi over the coals for what they did. And then they respond to Jacob not with an answer but with a question. By the way, sometimes you might want to study the times that Jesus responded to people rather with an answer. He gave them another question. And they said, should he deal with our sister as with an harlot? Jacob never answers that question. When chapter number 35 begins, you don't have a response from Jacob. In fact, here's where I see Jacob in between chapter number 34 and chapter number 35. They ask that question, should should Shechem treat our sister as a harlot harlot or a prostitute? And and Jacob just kind of, and he says nothing. Have you ever been in that place where you just did not have words to describe what you felt or what you were going through? That place where if you had somebody to talk to, you wouldn't have anything to say. And, 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 and I almost see Jacob sitting just like this. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, 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 and you see, I'm interested this evening... In that little space, that little white spot between the words, between the chapters in our text, that place where Jacob's not speaking, his sons aren't speaking, God's not speaking, nothing's happening. 
Jacob is in the worst place he's been in throughout his entire life. Well, who hasn't been there among us? There's a lot of people living in that spot right now. And, and could, could, could I suggest to you that many of churches are living in that white spot between chapter number 34 and chapter number 35? How did we get here? Maybe that's what Jacob's thinking. More importantly, how do I get out of this? Is probably what's really going through his mind. I, I read just yesterday that in 2019, somewhere in the neighborhood of 8,000 to 8,500 churches in North America closed their doors and went out of business. Could, could, could I say it this way without trying to sound too critical of the church? Y'all know I love the church, don't you? Could I say it this way, that somewhere between 8,000 and 8,500 churches died in 2019? It's expected that if the trend continues... As it's going right now, that by December, the end of December 2021, there will have been 18 to 19,000 churches in North America close their doors and go out of business this year. There's a lot of churches living in that white space. Between chapter number 34 and chapter number 35. No church is living in that place if the Christians that make up the church aren't living there. So, so I, I don't want to be a statistic in December. How about you? But, but we need to understand that even godly men, men who know something of the grace and the glory of God, can find themselves living right there. Before we go any further, could I ask you, what chapter are you living in? Is it a chapter of grace? A chapter of glory? Or could it be a chapter of grief? Now, now while y'all are good and depressed, <laughs> I do want to announce that I didn't come to depress you this evening. I, I come to tell you that nobody's got to live there. Amen. Because God is in the business of writing new chapters in your life. 
And you see David, uh, David, Jacob sitting there with that looming question in his mind. Should he deal with our daughter as with a harlot? And that's where God breaks in. Now, I, I think it's important to point out that before you can go to chapter number 35, there has to be a punctuation at the end of chapter number 34. Now, in this instance, it's a question mark, but I want to encourage you to put a period. I, I'd say, I dare be willing to say that even those of you that are living in a chapter of glory could stand a little more glory. But there has to be a punctuation point at the end of one chapter before you can move into the next one. L let me say it this way. You'll not have anything better until you get completely dissatisfied with what you have. Man, you see, Michael, I think... The problem a lot of times is that we as Christians become content with what we have and therefore cannot go any further. In fact, Jesus described the church that he would come back to in the book of Revelation. And this is how he described them. You sayest, this is how you see yourself. You're rich and increased with goods, and you don't have need of anything. But what you don't recognize is regardless of what kind of car you drive, regardless of what kind of house you live in, regardless of what kind of job you have, what kind of positions you hold in the community or the workplace, you know us not that you're wretched and miserable and blind and naked. Wow, boy, isn't that a description of a church? And Jesus said, because of that, you're, you're lukewarm, and I'll spew you out of my mouth. You're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. You see, that space may just be a, a place of complacency, a place where we've settled. I hope you understand that God's people aren't supposed to ever settle. What I mean is it's supposed to get gooder and gooder every day. Amen? And, and so God breaks in after the punctuation mark. And the first thing that I notice about this road to recovery, this, these, these steps that God takes Jacob through to move him from grief back to glory will always first and foremost, listen to me, effective change will always begin with the word of God that bends and breaks the will of man. Change does not happen. Effective, lasting change for the people of God does not happen because we just get dissatisfied with what we have. It'll only be accomplished when God gives us a word that breaks our will. The Bible says, and God... Said, boy, isn't that good? Well, you act like I just said Pre Pastor Frank said. Or brother Pastor Joel said. No, the Bible says, and God said. 
the, 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 the God that spoke and creation came into existence, spoke into Jacob's life. Boy, that, that's a, isn't that a, a comforting moment when God speaks? I mean, when, when you're going through something that you can't put words to, and God begins to speak to you, and God said, boy, that'll take a load off, won't it? But, but I want to notice from our text that God's word is not always comforting. Sometimes it's convicting. Because the Bible says, and God said to, to who? Jacob. Now, if you studied all of the chapters of Jacob's life, you, you'll find that back in chapter number 32, God changed Jacob's name. It's when, when Jacob wrestled with the Lord Jesus, wrestled with the angel, the messenger of God, the, the Lord Jesus at Peniel, and God broke his hip and then changed his name. Said, your name's Jacob, but I'm going to call you Israel. Now, now, Jacob, the definition for the name Jacob could be supplanter. It carries the idea of one who's deceptive. And boy, did Jacob live up to his name. One who manipulates, manufactures in order to, to get his way. And God breaks his hip and changes his name to Israel, which doesn't mean supplanter, but means soldier. One who wrestled with God and became victorious, not because he overthrew God, but because God overthrew him. God humbled him in breaking his hip and changed his name from Jacob Supplanter to Israel, soldier. But when God addresses him, when he's living in chapter number 34, he doesn't call him soldier. He calls him supplanter. He doesn't call him victorious. He calls him Jacob. Now, now Jacob... Remember, he, he's blaming everybody else. But when God called out, he didn't say Simeon. And he didn't say Levi. He said Jacob. Think about how that must have resonated in Jacob's heart when he got, heard God call him by who he was supposed to used to be. God ever have to call you by who you were supposed to used to be instead of who he's called you to be? And God said unto Jacob, could I submit to you to get from chapter number 34 to chapter number 35? Sometimes you got to be convicted to make the move. The, the word of God's not always supposed to feel good. Sometimes it's supposed to be convicting and challenging. Now, boy, I'm glad it is comforting, aren't you? But God convicts him. And God said unto 
Jacob. In chapter number 32, he breaks his hip and changes his name. In chapter number 35, he's breaking his heart. Now he starts giving him explicit instructions. You remember I told you a while ago that I believe that little old white space, Jacob's right here. Did you know you could be right here without physically ever sitting down? Come on. That dark place you're walking around in. And, and listen to God's first words after addressing Jacob. What does your say, Miss Sheila? Arise. Arise. You got to get up. If you want to experience something different, God requires you to do something different. Jacob, Jacob's sitting here, wall of things that were so good got so bad. How things that were so bright got so dark. And Jacob said, God said, Jacob, get up. Amen. Get up out of it. By the way, did you know that God will allow you to sit and wallow in it all you want to? He's not just going to reach down and snatch you up by the neck of the neck. He'll do like he said to Jacob and say, Jacob, it's time to get up. But you got to get up. And, and, and notice when he told him to get up, he didn't say just get up and stand up. He said, get up and, you said it, Miss Sheila, get up and go. Get up and go. You, you see, you can't get out of chapter number 34 without you're willing to walk into chapter number 35. You got to be able to step from where. You're at, maybe not as much be able, but have the desire to step from where you are into something different. I think one of the greatest problems in the Christian life and the church is we're living in insanity. You know what the definition of insanity is, right? The, 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 the continuance to do the same thing over and over and over, expecting a different result. That's crazy. If you keep putting your shoes on the wrong feet, you're going to keep walking the same way. And so he says, Jacob, get up. And when you get up, go. Not just anywhere. He didn't say go down to the club. Come on. He didn't say run down to the shrink's office. No. Arise and go up to Bethel. Now, it's interesting to me that God is about to change Jacob's location, but the first thing he deals with is his altitude. Go up. Don't go down, go up. Don't keep sliding down that slippery slope that you're on. Make the effort to, to go up. Arise. And go to Bethel. How, how many of you understand Jacob's already been to Bethel? He changed the name of the place. 
Remember, it was Luz at first, and he has that wonderful encounter with God, and he changes the name to the place Bethel. Do you know what Bethel means? Here's some of the, something for those folks that are sitting home this evening. Bethel literally translated means the house of God. Jacob, get up out of chapter number 34. Arise and go. And here's where you're going. You're going down to my house. And boy, isn't it, isn't it interesting that God told him what to do when he got there? Arise, go to the house of God, and dwell there. That word dwell literally means to tabernacle. It means to live. Jacob, get out of chapter number 34. Go down to my house and dwell there, live there. Put some roots down in my house, Jacob. You see, your life is not going to get any better. The situation is not going to change. Nothing is going to change until you get up from where you're at, go down to my house, and put down some roots. And when you get there, listen to this. Man, how simple is this? And build there an altar. We already got one built here, by the way. Build there an altar. An altar represented several things in the Old Testament. Certainly, it was a place of prayer. Did you know that Jesus said that this house, his father's house, it wasn't to be a den of thieves. It was to be a house of prayer. That God set this place apart from everything else in this world. And he called it, he claimed it to be a house of prayer. A place where his people would gather together and pray corporately. Listen. I'm a firm believer that if we come here and we preach and we teach and we sing and we don't pray, we failed. We can't expect things to happen that we can't accomplish if we don't pray and ask God to do that that we cannot do. D do we understand that we're living in a time we need something that no president can do? We need something to happen that no politician, no, no uh, government structure, no doctor is able to accomplish. We need God to do what only God can do. And so God says, listen, go to my house, Jacob, and when you get there, build an altar. And if you're going to build an altar, you might as well get in it and pray. Amen? But, but I don't know if I want to go there yet. An altar wasn't just a place to pray, though. It was a place to sacrifice. It was a place where they made sacrifices to God. Now, boy, I sure am glad God ain't got us slaughtering bulls and goats anymore, aren't you? Amen. I wouldn't have wanted that job back in the Old Testament. But the Bible says, let us offer up to God the sacrifice of of our praise, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So not only is the altar a place to pray, it's a place of praise and worship. You see, sometimes I think, oh, Michael, we see the altar is just a place to go to and ask God 
for something if we need something. And if we don't, we ain't got no need for the altar. No, the altar's a place of worship. It's a place of, 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 of praise. So go to, don't, don't tell me you don't need the church. That's the first place God tells Jacob to go to. Go down to my house. And when you get there, build an altar. Now, now, now Jacob gets this news from God. And it's almost like he needs to be encouraged to do what God told him to do. I mean, really, if God says it, shouldn't we just do it? But aren't you glad God knows how foolish we can be sometimes and he works with it? And so it's almost like he not only invites Jacob to pray, but he, he gives him an incentive to go and pray. Notice he said, And make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee, when thou fleddest from the face of a Saul, thy brother. I, I think that's important. In fact, if it wasn't important, I don't think God would have put it in the Bible. And it's as if God's saying to Jacob, it's not as if, this is exactly what God's doing. God's saying to Jacob, Jacob, you need to go back to that house you left, my house, and build an altar unto the God that appeared to you the last time you were there. Now, now, how many of you can look backwards and say, man, I wouldn't be where I'm at if God wouldn't have brought me through some stuff? You can look back and you can remember times when nobody else was able to come through, but God came through. You're able to, to look back at situations and circumstances in your life that nothing would suffice but a miracle. God had to do something. And standing on this side of it, you can say, boy... God brought me through. And then we come to this place right here. What am I going to do now? No, God says you need to look backwards. And remember a time when you got in his altar and he met you there. And if he did it then, he'll do it again. Amen? So, so Jacob, get up. Get out of that mess that you're wallowing around in. Go to my house and build an altar. When you get there, pray. Pray remembering. Pray in faith. If you have to pray backwards to pray in faith, then pray backwards. Just remember what I've already done for you. And then verse number two. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, put away. Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. And, and let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will, future tense, make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob All the strange gods which were in their hand. And all their earrings. Which were in their ears. 
this just resonates with me every time I read this text. Jacob is in process of getting right with God. And he looks to his family. And he says, you need to bring all of those idols. Earrings, by the way, is not an admonition against the earrings that you ladies and, and some men wear. They were idols, images carved out to pagan gods of their day and time. And, and Jacob looks to his family and says, you need to do away with this stuff. Now, the interesting thing is, is if you study the life of Jacob, what you'll find out is when they left Laban's house, his wife's father's house, his wife took idols out of his father's house and took with them. Jacob didn't even know they were there. And, and, and you know what this says to me as a father? I'm responsible for what's in my house, whether I recognize it's there or not. And, and, and I wonder, Miss Natalie, what creeps into our homes that we're unaware of is a spiritual threat to our lives. Now, here's, here's another thing that, that's peculiar is God never said anything about an idol or an earring. God never addressed it. He didn't say, Jacob, you need to clean your house up. And I think it's important to, well, because when God sets us on a path to get our lives in order with Him, He ain't got to point out everything that's wrong in the moment. We become well aware of it, don't we? And so Jacob calls his family to bring all of their idols. And, and, and listen, we're living in a time where dads need to be dads again. Where fathers need to be fathers. Where parents need to be parents. Where moms and dads don't put up with just any foolishness coming into their home. And they don't buy it for their children. Amen. Jacob knew, man, on this path to, to, from, from grief to greatness and glory, I got to deal with some stuff. And so he calls them together and the Bible says he hid them under an oak. I can, I can almost picture Jacob. Can you picture him? He's got a, I don't know, maybe a garbage bag. You reckon they, they probably didn't have plastic. Maybe a sackcloth garbage bag. And he's going around to his young'un's room. Everything in there that's not pleasing, bring it here. Throw it in the bag. Bring me all your earrings. Throw them in the bag. And I can almost picture him throwing that bag over his shoulder. And he walks until he finds a tree. I don't know, maybe he ain't got a, even got a shovel and he gets down and he just begins to dig beneath that tree and bury all of those idols, all of that sin and covers it up there at the tree. You see, because I'm mindful that that tree has to be illustrative of another tree that we read about in the New Testament. A place where we can bring all of our sin, all of our idols, all of our earrings, whatever shape, color, form, fashion they may be in. 
and hide them not under the mud at the bottom of the tree, but under the blood that flowed down the cross. Things are about to change in Jacob's life. But do you understand that nothing ever changes that's lasting that doesn't go and happen by way of the cross? I think the church needs to return to the cross. I think we as Christians need to frequent the cross. That it's not a place that we go one time and get saved. It's a place that we as saints often have to go back to and repent of our sin. But aren't you glad that John said, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. That the blood of his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. One more interesting point in this text, and, and, and then we'll call it a night. Notice verse number 7. Jacob goes back to Bethel. He builds an altar. He and his family have turned, repented of their sin. In verse number 7, in chapter 35, says, And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel. Because there, God appeared unto him. Now remember, Jacob was at Bethel before. When he got there, the name of the place was Luz. He saw this wonderful vision and changed the name of the place to Bethel, the house of God. Now, after he changes the name of the place, you'll find he makes a vow to God there. But if you read the vow that he makes, we don't have time this evening, but it's almost like he's trying to make a deal with God, like he's trying to barter with God. God, if you'll do this, this, and this, then you can be this in my life. And he calls the place El Bethel, the house of God. So he has an experience in the house of God and he leaves and finds himself living in chapter number 34. How many of you would just openly or maybe even silently to yourself to not confess? I've had some amazing experiences in the house of God. And still found myself living in chapter 34. Times in my life that God's had to holler, Jacob, not Israel. Now, when he goes back this time, he's not bartering with God. He's burying stuff. Remember, buried it under the oak, under the cross. And he changes the name of the place to El Bethel. Bethel meant the house of God. El Bethel means the God of the house of God. Do you see the difference there? 
the first time he has an experience in the house of God. And that's what he took away from it. That's what he named it. This time, it's not just an experience in the house of God. It's an encounter with the God of the house. And Michael, when that happens, God changes his name again and says, your name is Jacob. I will not call you Jacob any longer. Your name is Israel. God's saying, and, and, and you study the rest of Jacob's life, and God never refers to him again, first person, as Jacob. It's always from that point on, Israel. Now, here's my point, and, and, and I promise I might be done. I've got to be careful about making them vows and promises. The Bible says it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not keep it, right? Here's, here, here's my point. And here's why I think that so many of us and so many churches are living in that white space in between. I'm talking about even those that have regathered. Those of us that are already back in church, you can be in church and be in that white space. You ever notice that? You can be in that church and be discouraged. You can be in that church and be frustrated. You can be in the church and be depressed. You can be in the church and be in chapter number 34. And if all we come to church for is to have an experience in the house of God and we don't come to encounter the God of the house, then 34 is the best we can ever hope for. So, so, so. So, Michael, when, when's the last time? When's the last time you had a genuine encounter with the God of the house? I told you, I love me some church. If y'all all quit coming, I'll come anyway. At least they cut the lights off. <laughs> I've, I've, I've loved church ever since I got saved. I, I, I can't explain it. I hated going to church before I got saved. I truly did. My wife, I had drug religion. She drugged me to church. But, but when I got saved, I just wanted it. I love the singing. I love the worship. Don't you? I, I mean, man, I, I love the old hymns. I think they ain't nothing better than amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I love that stuff. I love the, the praise and the worship that we do here with vision leading us. I love to come together with the family of God and pray. I love you. I'm so glad that, that you're a part of, of what God is doing here at the bridge. I truly love gathering. I miss it when you're not here. I hope you miss me when I'm not here. Don't tell me if you don't, okay? Make me feel bad. <laughs> Just send it to me in an email. I'm used to them. I love preaching. I love getting under a preacher who just, like we used to call it, shucks the corn. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Them old-time preachers just shuck the corn. I love coming and putting myself under the Word of God. Have somebody teach me and show me something. But you can do all of that. All of that. And if you miss the God of the house, you might as well stay at home and watch it on TV. Amen? Amen. 
Jacob had an encounter with the God of the house. May the Lord help us. Miss Natalie, that we never leave this place without having an encounter with God himself. Did you notice why? Why God said to Jacob, go there and build an altar? Because that's the place that I appeared unto you. You see, yeah, we, we come and, and we use the altar as a place of prayer. We use it as a place of praise. But the most important reason that we come to church, that they did in the Old Testament, is that they might experience the presence and the power of God. Hallelujah. Well, go home then. But don't go home until you've had an encounter. If I had to sit in the parking lot all night, we'll leave the church doors open. I wouldn't leave here if all I did was heard some teaching, done some singing, prayed a prayer. The question is, Miss Natalie, Miss Sheila, Miss Mary, have you encountered God? That's what it's about. Father, thank you. Lord, I'm mindful tonight that your word says not only will you come back to a lukewarm church, but that you'll stand at the door and knock. God, it's, it's awful frightening to me that there come a time at a place, at a church that you couldn't get in, that you're locked out. God, I sure am glad you made us a promise that it only takes one person to reach down and open the door. You said, if any man will open the door, you will come in and sup with him, dine with him. And so, Father, we invite you by faith tonight to invade our space. This church doesn't belong to us, it's yours. This body, every member of it, belongs to you. You died that we might live. So, Father, help us that we would live for you in all that we do. I pray that as we go out into this community tonight, tomorrow, the rest of this week, that it would be evident to others just like it was in the lives of Peter and James and John, that, that others would, would see something in our lives that would make it apparent we had been in your presence. We'll certainly give you the praise and the glory for every soul that you save. Thank you for the prayers that you answer. Thank you, Father, that you allow us to go through them difficult chapters of life. And God, thank you that we don't have to walk through them alone. You've promised you would never leave us. You'd never forsake us. And God, thank you. Thank you that you lead us out of them. By your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen.